Wait, wait, wait. And so the name that we've decided on is the Occidental Podcast. So what do you want to name it? No, I just wanted to know. Is, is there a better name? I think there's a better name, but I cannot think yeah. of for the life. I mean, if it's coming out on Wednesday, I think Wednesday updates is cute. The Tiger update. Straight from the tiger's mouth. <laughs> okay, I like that. Straight from the, the tiger's tiger. mouth. That's, That's pretty good. <laughs> Today, a story about criticism of the quality of care at Emmons Wellness Center and their subsequent town halls. And our opinion today is from senior Sean Kramer, who discusses the bleak state of ASOC and how student government can improve. Stay with us. I'm Greg Feiner. And I'm Laura Scott. And you're listening to... Straight from the Tiger's Mouth. The Occidental's new podcast. So what we're going to be doing is bi-weekly, we'll cover a story that we thought was interesting um, and maybe could be better served with a little bit more context. Um, We'll bring the staff writer into our studio and chat with them about what they learned, interesting interviews they had. Maybe we can throw in some background info on the story that they couldn't quite hit on in the article should be really interesting and just provide a little bit more context to that story. Yeah, and since I'm the opinions editor, after we cover that article, we'll bring in uh, one of the writers of one of the more notable op-eds of the week, and we will argue uh, back and forth with them about their point. Yeah, Yeah. we'll debate. (laughs) uh, I I run this section. It's argue. (laughs) No, it's, uh, yeah, we'll we'll debate with them and try and really hone their argument and dive more deeply. We're glad you're here. Tune in again. We'll be doing more of these. But for now, let's just dive right in with our first story of the week. We have in the studio with us a staff writer, Elliot, who covered the Emmons Town Hall story. Elliot, thanks for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Just to open, tell us a little bit of background about the town hall. And yeah, for sure. Process. So there was this Mac 250 class. Um, and the point of the class was to work with uh, digital media platforms to work on activism and different projects like that. So one group was working on Emmons. Um, And they kind of had heard from friends that maybe some friends had been misdiagnosed at Emmons or had had some difficulty in care. And so they they brought forward uh, this petition on change.org after a survey that they conducted. And that led to this first town hall uh, where Sarah Seamall, the director of Emmons, kind of got some feedback from a number of different students. It was very well attended. And she took that to the board of trustees. They presented to a committee of the board of trustees. And then after that, this most recent town hall uh, that my article mostly focused on was the director of Emmons, Sarah Seamall, and the assistant director of Emmons, Matt Calkins, kind of just presenting that same presentation back to the students so that they could really be transparent about this whole process. So I know Diversity and Equity Board was involved in this. Can you explain their role a little bit? Yeah, so after the MAC 250 class got involved, they kind of realized that they wouldn't really have a long-term uh, stake in this. They wouldn't be able to carry out this project throughout as, as it needed to continue um, over the next couple of semesters. So they were thinking, like, who could we bring in that would be able to continue this project in a more sustainable and long-term way? And they reached out to the Diversity and Equity Board and got in contact with a couple of the student life officers there. 
and they uh, really pushed this forward and worked with Sarah Seamall, who also was very uh, willing to push this forward and get some more feedback from students, and worked with her to kind of set up these town halls. Some of these changes that Emmons has said they're going to try to recommend, they seemed a little bit obvious, like introducing an anonymous complaint system, um, follow-up appointments if care hasn't been adequate are free of cost, and then just the medical practitioners being clear about explaining insurance information and policies. These seem like things they should have been doing before. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I think um, I think what Sarah Seamall uh, Sarah was thinking um, when she was making these changes was really just kind of responding to uh, what the students had brought up at that first town hall. Um, and a lot of students were feeling like if they were uh, if they were getting misdiagnosed, the real problem was that they wouldn't actually get that correct diagnosis when they came back the next week, or they um, they would just not really have that follow up that they needed. So, I think the goal of the, that um, additional follow up care and um, those those extra services uh, regarding those kind of those kind of things, um, I guess that uh, that really will I think um, solve a lot of the issues with misdiagnosis. Um, and then a lot of the other changes were kind of in the mental health, um, psychological side. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of changes on that end as well. And I guess another thing was just about the town hall specifically. Mm-hmm. You mentioned there were two. What was, uh, and did you go to the first one or just the second one? I went to both, yeah. What was the attendance like at both of those? Like how many students showed up? Yeah, so there was a really big difference between the two uh, town halls in terms of the attendance. I think the first one, a lot of students really wanted to let Emmons know what was going on, why they felt like they might have uh, not been fully treated at Emmons or um, their kind of their experience. And then the second town hall, a lot of students maybe recognized that it wasn't as much of a student input session as much of a, as much as it was like a transparency session, I guess, for Emmons to really show what they were doing and how they were communicating with the board of trustees. So I, I think there were a lot less people at the second um, town hall. And I think when I spoke to Sarah Seamall and Matt Calkins, they said that in the future, they hope that those kind of transparency town halls where it's less of a conversation between students and uh, faculty members, those kind of town halls will also be well attended. So I think that's a goal that they're working towards in the future. So on that level, um, what can students do to stay involved? I know the board has been presented to, but the petitioning for funding is ongoing, correct? Um, yeah, so so right now the process is that um, a request for a budget increase for Emmons has been submitted. Dean Flott submitted that to uh, the president's office, and that is an ongoing process. Um, at this point, it's kind of out of the realm of student activism, but I think students can continue what they should really do is to continue to be in contact with Sarah Seamall, um, just really telling her uh, what's going on, what they think could be changed. And I think now Sarah Seamall is really is really working to listen to those concerns and also just communicate um, when she has made a change. That was something that we really talked about a lot. How much is it a conversation and how much is it a uh, just kind of were administrators keeping you informed and in the loop? I think they're really trying to make it more of a conversation, like really a back and forth um, and just be really as fluid as possible. But yeah, I think it, there's still a lot of growth to be made. I think what what really stood out to me in this process was uh, student leaders working with administration to create change and like uh, better an institution of the college. And I think 
what could what could happen in the future to make this even better is if uh, just the general populace of students also works with the uh, administrators to institute that change as well as just the the student leaders like Deb and and the Mac class, which I guess is more of a um, less of a, a leadership institution. But yeah. Well, thanks for your time, Elliot. We really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for having in me. with us on this article. Yeah, it's an interesting topic, yeah. definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks so much, Elliot Brody, staff writer for the Occidental. This week, we have Sean Creamer in the studio. Thanks for being with us, Sean. Thanks for having me on the show, Greg. Now, so you're normally our communications director, is that correct? I am. You do all our social media and stuff. That's right. But this week, you have written us an op-ed about ASOC, the Associated Students of Occidental College. Yeah, I have. This week, um, I'm talking about how I think that we need to rethink how we think about ASOC, basically. And a lot of students at this college, I think, look at ASOC as kind of a joke, but we shouldn't just accept that. We deserve a better student senate. And so I'm saying, let's start over. Let's start over from scratch, rethink how we do ASOC, uh, demand a new constitution, and demand a better student senate for this college. Um, so let's go. let's go into the background a little bit. So you have... You have some experience with ASOC personally. I do, yeah. My sophomore spring, uh, the year after I had transferred to Oxy, I ran for an honor board juror position. And every year when, you, when you're running for uh, an ASOC position, you have to go to this meeting that basically explains the rules of the campaign. And so at that meeting, which is presided over by Dean Tamara Himmelstein, we realized that there were 12 students who were running for eight honor board positions, and there were seven Senate seats that no one was running for. Wow, and that's seven seats out of how many total in the Senate? There are 13 total Senate seats that are voting seats. So, wow, so that's, so that's more than half of all of the Senate seats up for grabs, and nobody is running for them. Exactly. Yeah, so at the meeting, one student who was running for honor board, like myself, had asked if he could switch his candidacy to be a junior class senator, and uh, Dean Hemmelstein, after some thinking about it and some debate, decided that that would be okay, which led a few others, including myself, to also... Uh, request to change their candidacy. So I ended up running for vice president of academic affairs um, by the time that I left the meeting that night. And uh, is that a Senate position or is that a separate um, is that a separate position? So that's a position on Senate. There are four vice president positions. There's um, external affairs, internal affairs, finance, and academic affairs. There also there used to be a fifth, which was the vice president of sustainability. But after three years of it being unfilled, they decided to eliminate it that same year that I was running. Okay. And uh, so you mentioned that you transferred to Occidental College and uh, you... In your article, you talk about how that experience at your at your other school, your previous school, Dickinson College, kind of influences your perspective on ASOC. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I came from Dickinson, like you said, which is 
very similar on paper um, to Oxy. It's about the same size, just around 2,100 undergraduate students, and it's one of Oxy's peer colleges. So while I was there, um, the very first first semester, I, I ran for one of eight um, first-year class senator seats. Uh, so there, there's eight class senators per class at Dickinson. And while I was there, I uh, as a senator, I, I won. <laughs> and um, I sat on one of seven committees, which was the Public Affairs Committee. And we basically were in charge of sort of the pseudo-academic um, events on campus. So we, we hosted lunchtime talks with professors. We had New York Times roundtables, actually similarly to what the Occidental does here at Oxy. Um, and then we, we also hosted an annual big lecture called the Poitras Glime Lecture, which brought a person to campus sort of in the style of, of NPR's Not My Job on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So it's, it's a person who came to talk about something that they're an expert on, but that's not their career. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, I also was uh, asked actually in the spring semester by the, the student body president to join this constitutional drafting committee, which was composed of 13 senators and representatives from other campus organizations to rewrite the Senate, um, the student Senate constitution. And so, so during that spring semester, we went through and carefully looked at the past constitution as well as Dickinson's peer and aspiration colleges. We were looking at Middlebury's constitution to, to carefully rewrite and craft a constitution that would work for the better of, of the student body there. Nothing is perfect. I don't mean to sort of hold Dickinson up as this, this bastion of perfection. It's, it is not perfect and by any means. I mean, I did transfer out of there. There you go. <laughs> but um, what I found so great about that student government experience and what then I found very lacking at Occidental is this actual this commitment to seeing student government as something that is valued and I feel like it's it's not valued at this school. Yeah, and that's kind of reflected in what you were saying earlier when there were seven unfilled, well, not unfilled, but seven seats in the Senate where people were, just weren't running for them. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's, it goes beyond that, too. I mean, we also have issues with even when, this, when people do run for seats, they're often uncontested. Um, I think 81% or so of... Senate seats over the past five semesters have have been uncontested in the campaigns. Yeah. And also there's a really low voter turnout. So in, in general, it seems that uh, ASOC, Senate, and Honor Board fail to garner the, the popular support as organizations of the Occidental community. It remains problematic to have an average of over three seats in the student senate and honor board left vacant because that just simply means that senate can't do its job to its full extent and this has real consequences for students at occidental it's not just like a kind of activity that people aren't participating in what are some of those consequences sure i mean there's of course the big one is financial senate controls over seven hundred thousand dollars um, and i believe it's a Roughly 600,000 of that comes directly from student fees, uh, which we just voted to increase. And, and that's all great, but 
if if the student senate isn't you know fully operational, can we can we really be using that money as efficiently and as effectively as possible? Um, and also, frankly, there's things at Occidental that don't fall under the purvey of student senate that at other colleges student government is in charge of, you know, counseling clubs and, and guiding the, the creation of new events and organizations on campus, um, programming, you know, Student Senate, frankly, here does not really do very much programming. Other colleges, they do a lot. And uh, wh- why do you think that that kind of oversight would be uh, important? Yeah, well, essentially, I think it's always a good thing when you have more creative brains, more sort of entrepreneurial thinking that goes into the creation of any sort of event or organization, group, any anything that people are going to be involved in. Um, and it would be fantastic if Student Senate at Occidental was sort of this place that had a large collection of of thinkers and and leaders who were were able to kind of really be tied into the pulse of the student body and council clubs and and also you know work with clubs to to provide services that the occidental community would really benefit from yeah and that that i and that i suppose kind of makes sense uh, just because what a lot of the things that I hear about just the Occidental student body is that it's very cliquish and and segmented, and it seems and it seems like that that makes sense that that's something you're saying is it's lacking that central guiding body. Yeah, it is, and and another thing that I I write about in my piece is about this sort of kind of radical idea that perhaps um, you know. We have all these. We have all these positions on Senate that are being left unfil- unfilled. We have all these positions that people are running uncontested for. But rather than think of those positions as unpopular and in need of elimination, such as the vice president for sustainability position, I think that uh, there's really an argument to be made that we actually need more positions. We need a larger student body that's more representative of this campus because right now the the voting members of Senate only account for uh, 0.06% of the student body, which is super low. I mean, um, the proportion, even, even to move it towards 2% of the student body, which would be about 40, 45 senators, that would allow for more sort of dialogue and debate and thinking and it would also allow student senate to be able to execute their job in a more efficient way because they would be able to delegate and create subcommittees that would be able to um, do the things that senate needs to do yeah um that's it thank you so much for coming in sean creamer everybody Straight from the Tiger's Mouth is produced in the Critical Making Studio in collaboration with Raw Records. Thanks to Barbara Thomas, the Occidental Faculty Advisor and the Senior Editorial Team. Sound editing by Emily Jo Worry and Laura Scott. Original music by Nico Bluffin. Produced by Ronald Chan and Laura Scott. For more of the stories we covered today from The Occidental, go to our website, theoccidentalweekly.com, and find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
This is the Occidental Podcast.